1: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash stuff.
0: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored. Like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles, if you took Brian. Oh, get, get, you're imprinting
1: all over me. Stop. Is that, what, is that what I'm doing? Yeah, you're rubbing your feathers all over me.
0: Mm-hmm. I've got a feather with, duster that uh, I'm tickling you with.
1: Poking me with your beak? Yeah. I'm not your parents, you know.
0: That's right. Thank God. What a weird intro that was.
1: Yeah, that was and scene. Yeah. It's called animal imprinting.
0: I'm sure we've talked about this before, but is it and scene or end scene? We it, need Joe Randazzo to weigh in on this one. No, we don't. It's
1: and scene. Um, sure. Common. I'm positive we have talked about this. and
0: I know we have, but I don't remember the outcome.
1: Well, it was me saying it's and scene for sure, and you're going,
0: you sure. That's why we're talking about it again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's and scene. So, animal imprinting. Mm-hmm. It's a thing.
1: It is. It's uh In the strictest definition, it is only for birds.
0: Yeah, and specific type of birds called precocial birds.
1: Yeah, they are very precocial.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That means that they hatch out of the egg and look around and start waddling, and they're like, oh, look, this is water. I I have this weird innate urge to get in there and swim. Yeah. And, um, uh, oh, here's a little bit of um, duck food. I think I'll eat some of that because I have a drive to do that. But what is that wonderful smell? Oh, I think this might be the duck that gave birth to me or laid me as an egg, and now I'm going to imprint myself on you.
1: It's either that or it's a grown human man.
0: Yeah, it can be anything, especially with ducks. But especially, specifically, precocial birds have a process where they form an attachment to a parent. And it's been yeah. shown over time that that parent doesn't necessarily have to be a biological parent. It can not even be in the same species. It doesn't even have to be a living thing. No. It can be a toy train. Yes, it can be, or a pair of gumboots. Yeah. Um, and humans have known for a very long time about this process. It just wasn't until like the 1900s that we started to get a, um, a real grip on it. But like apparently in, uh, there's a Roman treatise around I guess like the 30s, in the real 30s, I mean like 30 CE. Not 1930s. No, like 30. Not the swinging 30s. Um, And it basically says like if you want to train some wild ducks, go get yourself some duck eggs, put them under a hen that you have domesticated, Mm -hmm. and that hen will raise those ducks as their own, and they'll be unwild.
1: Yeah, In, uh, in rural China, back in the day, rice farmers would imprint new ducks with a stick. So they could then use that stick to guide them out to their uh, rice population where they would eat snails. Right,
0: the rice population.
1: So they're literally (laughs) following this stick around like it's their parents. Yeah. So they would lead them to uh, to help to work for them, basically.
0: And the whole thing is, is the stick was what they were introduced to at a very specific time in their life, Mm -hmm. uh, usually within a couple hours. And they said... Stick, you're my mom. I'm going to follow you everywhere. When you're not around, I'm going to freak out. It's so weird. Uh, Yeah. And and ducks are a really great, um, they're like a classic example of imprinting because they're very emotional creatures Mm -hmm. um, and they form very strong attachments and they're very social creatures. So either they're all those things because they form very strong imprinted bonds Mm -hmm. or they form very strong imprinted bonds because of all those things.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's natural selection at work. for oh, show.
0: So that's a, that's the at the heart of this whole thing is, you know, is it nature versus nurture? Yeah. And imprinting is a really great natural experiment to investigate the whole thing. And what it seems like we found is that it's both. Yeah. That apparently, especially, specifically, precocial ducks are hardwired to go seek out and form an attachment. Yeah. But depending on what they encounter at the time, e.g. their environment, also known as nurture... Um, they can form that attachment with a stick. Yeah,
1: or a toy train,
0: or a Nazi. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's very cute actually when you think about it. You know, they're just like, "Love me, whatever." Yeah, right. Pu- hand puppet. What was that, Dr. Seuss book? I think it was "Love Me, Hand Puppet." <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I think it was "Are You My Mother." I don't know. Never heard of that. Like, Horton makes an appearance in it. It's like some animals walking around like, are you my mother? Yeah. God, that's awful. It is pretty sad. But it's it's basically a Dr. Seuss book about imprinting. Oh, cool. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, you mentioned Nazis. So, to me, that's my cue to segue into the life of Conrad with a K, Lorenz, who was uh, Austrian. Yeah. Born at the turn of the century in 1903. And um, he was... Uh, big into animals and he studied regular medicine and then decided this is great humans are fun but i'm really into studying animals and their behaviors right that was his bag so he became a zoologist he did he got a phd in 1933 and started work uh alongside oscar heinroff who was a fellow scientist mm-hmm. with uh was he austrian or german i'm not sure he's probably one of the two
0: well, so Lawrence is working. He's already established himself as a scientist when the Nazis come marching into town. Yeah, and um, literally one of the things, yeah, one mm-hmm. of the things he had to answer for years later, when he won the Nobel Prize for his imprinting work, was his um, zeal and enthusiasm, basically, with which he welcomed the conquering Nazis. Yeah, and took his ideas about domestication and applied them to the the lens of Nazi theory, yeah, about race. Like Conrad Lawrence was a racist in the purest and vilest form of the word. Yes, it's it, there's no escaping that.
1: No, and he uh, he flat out denied even being a party member until it was proven, and then he was like, "Oh, I oh, was I
0: forgot about that membership." <laughs>
1: and he very much tried to to wiggle his way out of that years later um, by saying, you know. I think what it, how it ends up is he's not the only academic that was on the wrong side of history
0: no certainly back not. Then.
1: And, and he came out years later and was sort of like, oh yeah, but I sort of got swept up. I didn't really mean it in this way mm-hmm. and science is kind of divided some people forgave him and others did not
0: yeah and it's um I think science as a whole has forgiven him largely mm-hmm. yeah. like science with the capital S uh-huh. but there are plenty of scientists out there who are like, the guy was a Nazi, and he used his theories. To help the Nazi regime, yeah. like he was a Nazi psychologist in Austria who um, was paid to examine um, German Polish uh, people. Yes, and and basically determine that like the the um, mating of a German person and a mm-hmm. Polish person produces undesirable offspring. Well. You throw that out into the Nazi void and see what they do with that info. Yeah, they're not going to be mating with Polish people. So this guy is—is is, he was a um, an evolutionary theorist of a of, of a very brilliant magnitude, sure, great zoologist, but also a Nazi. And a lot of people call into question like the work that he produced. Yeah. Um, but again, as a whole, science seems to have forgiven him for the most part.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great sort of a COA. It's more like the more you know type of thing
0: <laughs> you got to make the star yeah,
1: exactly so uh that aside let's get back to his work with oscar heinroth um they were contemporaries and heinroth he was actually the first dude uh even though he didn't call it imprinting at the time he's the german word uh prugung
0: is that how you say
1: it yeah like an a with a new sort of a uh, 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 prig pr- pr- oh
0: that's good that sounded Swedish, chefy though
1: yeah, I'll, I'll probably get taken to task, but for my memory of <laughs> German in college, that's right on the money. So, uh, like I said, he didn't call it imprinting at the time, but he did study the uh, gray lag geese and found out that right out of the egg that they um, can attach to humans. And it was a big, you know, although they did it in Rome in ancient China, Germans probably thought they made that up. Right. <laughs> Discovered it first. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um and uh, another thing that Lawrence is criticized for, aside from the Nazi affiliation, was that he was, um, he very readily made an anthrop, what's called an anthropic shift. Yeah. Where he took his findings ab- about animals and was very eager to extrapolate them onto humans. Yeah. As well. Which, uh, some people are like, whoa, whoa, buddy, you haven't, you haven't shown that connection yet.
1: Yeah, you can't. That doesn't always work.
0: No, but there, there has, we'll see, like, come to, there's a there's an understanding that yeah there's something similar in humans and other mammals too yeah as we'll talk about.
1: Uh, so there was one experiment early on where he took some goose eggs and separated them out uh, into the control and the experiment uh, experimental group, and of course the experimental he raised separate from the mother completely. All this sounds kind of mean too, by the way.
0: Yeah, so all imprinting exper- experiments are about as immoral as they get.
1: Yeah, it's like ripping the baby right out of the egg or womb uh, away from its mother. Right, and and saying like... Just to see what happens.
0: Right, like, here, this gumboot is your mother. Yeah. Try growing up normal and socialized (laughs) with a gumboot for a mom. No, agreed. You know? Yeah. Almost across the board these animals, these are um, immoral, unethical experiments.
1: Agreed. So, the experimental geese only met with him, uh, not the goose mom at all, and then eventually to test this out, what he did was he put them uh he put the groups together, marked them, put them under a box, and then basically sort of like the old uh experiment like Brady Bunch thing to see who calls the dog, which one the dog will come <laughs> oh, yeah, to. I forgot about that. He had someone lift the box, he's on one side of the room, the goose is on the other, and the ones who he had raised came straight to him.
0: Yeah. Which I'll bet when they lifted that box, it was adorable. A bunch of confused ducklings <laughs> yeah. looking around like, what was that? Right. You're my mommy. Right. N- n- Nazi man. <laughs> right. The bearded Nazi is my mom.
1: Uh, so he finally named it uh, Filial filial Imprinting.
0: I think Filial.
1: Filial Imprinting.
0: Yeah, and it's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's that if you, if you imprint, if you introduce something or yourself to... Uh, Precocial bird at a certain stage of development, it will say, "You're my parent." Right? Yeah,
1: and he initially called that the critical period. Right, is the amount of time you had to do that.
0: Yeah, so he um, his studies weren't quite as um, like well designed as later studies, but yeah. he basically said, like he assumed probably first ten minutes, maybe an hour after hatching is this critical period, and then he also took it a step farther by saying it's irreversible. Yeah. So once once this duckling thinks a gumboot is its mom, it's always going to. Think You're stuck
1: that. with that duck until
0: you eat it. So Lawrence like really put a lot out there, and he really moved evolutionary biology ahead to a degree. Yeah, ethology is the field that he helped found. Yeah, um, but we'll talk about some follow up studies that supported and overturned some of his findings right after this. So Chuck um, Lawrence comes up with uh, filial imprinting, right? Yeah. Then later studies in like the fifties and sixties, especially by a guy named Eckhart Hess and A.O. Ramsey, who built a lab in Maryland specifically dedicated to studying animal imprinting, and they had really great control conditions, and they they really refined. Lorenz's findings. Yeah,
1: and they studied uh, mallard ducklings, again, with the ducks. And um, <laughs> they found that the most sensitive period was 13 to 16 hours after hatching, which was uh, higher, more hours, than I think Lorenz had found, correct? Yeah. He, I think he had it down to like three or four hours, right? Tops,
0: yeah. And this was, I guess the, the duckling likes to have a little time to swim around and get some food. Yeah. And- Maybe take a rest and then it'll start getting down to imprinting.
1: Yeah, and he, um, I thought this was super interesting. They also found that the ducklings that had to go, like, jump through more hurdles and go through more to find the, uh, the parent formed a stronger attachment. Mm -hmm. Which kind of makes sense. Like, you worked harder for it. Right. I guess.
0: It's like that Morrissey song. The more you ignore me, the closer I get.
1: (laughs) Man, he's the best. The best. Yeah. Also the worst as far as, like, (laughs) Canceling shows and, like, yeah. I mean, dude cannot, like, I don't had know if he's that. ever completed a full tour. There's no way.
0: It's like, oh, I have a headache.
1: Like, every Morrissey tour, eventually, if you're on the end of that tour, you might as well not even have tickets. Yeah. Because you're not going to be seeing Morrissey. All right. That's my little soapbox about Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> Finish your tour. <laughs>
0: that's right. You, me, and I had that happen to us.
1: Oh, you had Morrissey tickets
0: in see. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, was it recently? It was, within uh, the last like two years.
1: He should call every tour, like, the Morrissey.
0: Potential tour. Potential tour. <laughs> or first half tour. Yeah. Uh,
1: so, back to the ducklings. Uh, they also found that, um, they would imprint onto little paper mache ducks that they made. Yeah. Which is very sweet. Colored balls. Yeah. Uh, colored more than the white ones. Yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, I guess, I don't know they must react to color more, even though well, that's, that, vi- vision wasn't really a part. I thought it was just sound, it depends, smell, and uh, touch.
0: So there's a um, there's a PBS Nature special called um, My Life as a Turkey, and it's about a, a researcher who is studying animal imprinting and specifically yeah. with turkeys. I read that one. Turkeys have astounding vision. Yeah, um, just amazing vision. Like they can spot like um, th- a screw head from a football field away. <laughs> That's small. How do you know? Did they say screwhead? Right. Well, yeah, they're known for going <laughs> and rooting out screwheads at far long distances. Wow. They just stop and point. Like a pig with, in the truffles. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's what turkeys are used for. Um, but uh, So a turkey has very great vision. So I could see color being an environmental cue. I guess so. Smell. Movement. Touch is a huge ones. one. Yeah. It's a big one.
1: All right. So another thing they tried that did not work, which I thought was interesting... Is going back even before they hatched, and using auditory cues in the egg, and they found that didn't make any difference. But it's a good thing to test.
0: The guy on the nature thing though found the opposite. Oh, really? Yeah, he um he would talk turkey to to the eggs.
1: Oh, I thought he talked turkey once they were born.
0: No, he's st- while they were eggs, he talked turkey to get them used to it. Ooh. All right, yeah, and th- that was a pretty good turkey. <laughs> <drink>. <laughs> Thank you. And then um, after that. Uh, when they were when they were hatched they uh, he talked turkey again to them and apparently they came right over. Oh, okay. But it smell's also a big one too. Oh yeah, huge. Like the inside of the egg probably smells a lot like the mom. Yeah, you know. That makes sense. So all these environmental cues add up to what the what this little hatchling is basically mindlessly following because yeah. again, all of this imprinting stuff has found that animals at least are hardwired to go seek out and form these these attachments.
1: Yes, and they also found that their uh, that critical period was even longer when they kept them isolated from birth. So if they kept them completely socially isolated, they would have up to twenty hours yeah. uh, to imprint, and this uh, caused a researcher name oh boy, uh, Vladislav
0: Vladislav
1: Vladislav Sl- Vladislav Slukin. Great name. (laughs) He said it's actually not a critical period. Let's call it a sensitive period. (laughs) Right. Semantics, if you ask me.
0: Yeah, but it it makes a pretty good point. It's basically saying, like, this thing is not – yes, it appears to be hardwired, but it's also malleable in in the face of nurture, in the face of the environment. Sure. It can be postponed. It can be um, altered. Uh, it's not nature versus nurture, it's nature and nurture in conjunction with one another. That's right. And so all of this filial imprinting that Lawrence first identified and really started systematically studying, and that was later carried on in birds, um, also led to the discovery that birds also, um, imprint sexually as well as filially. Hey, yeah. Yes. And depending on what they attach to filially, They will, um, their sexual attachments or sexual preferences will also be altered later on in life.
1: Right. As they mature. So, in other words, a bird that is raised by a human. Okay. Will eventually try and mate with humans. Yes. Even in the presence of other birds of that species. Right. Crazy.
0: Yes. And the reason why they think is because, um,. The bird is basically identifying with what it's taking as its own species, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it will say, well, my parent is a human, ergo, I must be a human. Right. And therefore, I want to get with a human. Yeah, it's a very confused bird. Right. But there's something that they've also found that refines this whole thing even further. And that is that sexual imprinting is basically blocked. They're sexually blind is what they call it Mm -hmm. to the person that raised them. Yes. So while they might be attracted to humans, they're not going to be attracted to their human parent. Right. And there's actually something which um, we should do an incest episode. We should.
1: Um, That sounds like it's, uh, you just pulled that out of thin air, but it's remarkably similar.
0: Yeah, there's something that's been noted in humans called the Westmark effect, which we'll have to do an incest episode, but super interesting. Yeah, agreed. Especially coming from like, um, like a clinical standpoint or viewpoint.
1: Yeah, sure. And not just like let's do a show on incest. Ooh, gross! The right. end. Right. You know, look at it sociologically.
0: <laughs> this sounds like a stuff you should know episode.
1: Uh, back to the birds. Uh, another interesting finding here when they were when they studied uh, the sexual imprinting. Initially, it was with jackdaws, which are sort of like crows. Okay. And they found that there were different types of imprinting occurring as they mature. So, in other words, uh, one of those jackdaws ate with humans, mm-hmm. flew with crows. But mated with jackdaws.
0: Right. So that suggests that. They were partying, dude. <laughs> there are these, um, it's a well rounded jackdaw. Yeah. The, but it suggests that there are these the different sensitive periods rather than just one. Right. 14 to 16 hours after hatch, hatching, That's right. right? Um, and it, it, you, maybe you have a filial imprinting. Like, pretty early on, that's the first one, and then sexual imprinting comes after that. Who knows? Who knows? Um, Well, we'll talk more about, remember I said Lorenz was accused of making the anthropic shift a little too soon? Sure. Well, he was vindicated to a large extent because a lot of this does apply to mammals as well. We'll talk about that right after this.
1: Before we talk about mammals, there was this quote that I meant to read before the last break. He talked about the guy who talked turkey, Joe Hutto, uh-huh. and he has a quote that he said um, when, the, when the first poult emerged, he made uh, his turkey sound, mm-hmm. and as Joe recounts, the poult turned his head, its eyes met Joe's, and quote, something very unambiguous happened in that moment, quote. <laughs> True love.
0: Isn't that cute? It is cute, but a little creepy.
1: <laughs> you know? He's like, you know, we met, our eyes met. And From it across was, the room. And it was unambiguous. Yeah. So anyway, sorry about that. Just had to throw that in there. Nice. Joe Hutto, turkey lover.
0: Yeah, go watch My Life as a Turkey on PBS.
1: Uh, I'd say turkey lover and Jess. He was a scientist. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, he's not a creep.
0: No, creeps don't use words like unambiguous to describe connections. No. They you know? say, get in my van.
1: Right. (laughs) All right, so mammals, um, this is not exactly, strictly speaking, imprinting, but they've sort of expanded over the years the definition to include, you know, like what happens if you rip a monkey away from its mom.
0: Which has been done. Yes. By a guy named Harry Harlow in the 50s and 60s, one of the more despicable scientists involved in animal testing. As a matter of fact, Harlow's tests with... um, filial imprinting among mammals and monkeys in particular, Mm -hmm. um, led to the animal rights movement. It definitely gave it steam and a lot of public support after, um, articles and news stories were released about Harlow. And when he was vilified, he did not buckle under public opinion. Mm -hmm. He is very famously quoted as who could ever love a monkey, um, Everybody but you. That's what he said, in response to being criticized. Who could ever love a monkey? Like, what's your problem, idiots? It's a monkey.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I don't get that. So, there I mean, are people out there like that though. That, sure. Like, they how-
0: shouldn't be in charge of running tests about filial imprinting with monkeys. They can just sit agreed. there on the sidelines and hate animals. Yeah, or watch TV or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, watch. Uh, what was the Broderick
0: movie about monkey testing? Oh uh Project X. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Just watch that on a loop. No, but the working title was Monkey See Monkey Do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're probably right. Um all right, so
1: back to mammals, right? Yes. Um they did some studies in the nineteen nineties, a researcher named Keith Kendrick where they uh and this one doesn't seem like too much of a stretch. They switch sheep and goats at birth and um they were allowed contact, social contact with their own species, but they were raised by their adoptive parents, uh, like the baby sheep was raised by the goat. Yeah. But they were still allowed to co with other sheep. Right. And it still worked. It turned out that they preferred to mate with the species of the adopted parent. Right. Or adopted mother.
0: But they also found very um, remarkably or notably that it's reversible as well. Yes. They wanted to see how it would hold up. Right. So once a year they would bring them all back together, be like, "Mingle." Yeah. Have uh, some there's some a cheese plate over there. Well, yeah, they had this is to play a little music. This is
1: after right, after they had removed them from the opposite species, put them back with their own species, and once a year they said, "Hey, remember those goats
0: that you like so much?" Oh, it was like that, huh? Yeah. Okay, so and what they found was that among females we can say females because we're talking about a different species. That's right. Um the females showed a preference, they reverted to their intra species preference. So yeah. like they, they showed like a sexual preference for their own species after about one to three years after being returned. Yes. Right? Yes. But males, even after three years of being um, ming- co-mingled again, yeah. they still showed a preference for the species that they'd imprinted on.
1: Yeah. They, like, the goats are still like, oh, man, I remember those sheep. Right. And the I, sheep I, and said look, the same thing about the goats. Which I look forward is to sheep worthy. day once a year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where we can go party.
0: Sheep day. They have <laughs> um, the best cheese plates.
1: Oh, man. Uh, I thought that was really interesting, though, how... Uh, I mean there's no explanation I guess but how the the females and the males reacted you know years
0: later. Well males are stubborn. Yeah, I think maybe that's all it is. Yeah. Not not quite as agile is another way to put it. <laughs> so that's sheep and goats. Yes. The that experiment's called the old switcheroo. Um Harry Harlow did some experiments and he actually um as mean as his experiments were he actually managed to basically disprove an ongoing debate that had been ongoing up until that point. Yeah. Um, whether or not you form an attachment or animals form an attachment based on classical conditioning mm-hmm. or based on some sort of, um, evolutionary mechanism. Right. And so the classical conditioning people said, no, no, all, it's, it's all about food. So the animal, goes up and imprints on whatever is giving it food. Right. And what it's doing is it's making an, an imprint, an attachment, with the person that gives it food. So you're, you're looking for the food, and you insert the person who gives you the food, and then you can remove the food, and you still have the attachment to the person that gave you the food. Yeah. Classical conditioning. It's just standard Freud stuff, right? Yeah. I punch that button, food, cocaine comes out. Exactly. Well, that's more skinnery, but yeah. Yeah. Conditioning. Uh-huh. Um, so, with Harlow's experiments, he took monkeys, stri- stripped them from their mothers. Mm-hmm. In some cases, let them get nice and attached to their mothers, and then stripped them to- from their mothers. Yeah, nice guy. Had all sorts of different designs, but basically the upshot was he introduced them to two different mothers. They're both inanimate objects. One was a monkey mother made of like wire. With like spikes, it was a toaster. They, they well, they referred to it as the Iron Maiden. Yeah, but this one had food. Mm-hmm. The other one was a inanimate monkey mother who was made of terry cloth and was soft. Yeah, a little
1: bit like a teddy bear, monkey teddy bear.
0: So, to a monkey, all of these monkeys showed a preference for the terry cloth. Monkey mother, of course, they would go to this wire monkey mother when they were hungry and mm-hmm. would eat, and they would immediately go back to the monkey mother. When Harry Harlow came in, it was like, "Blah blah blah," would scare them all. Yeah, they would all go over to the the terry cloth mother. So he basically showed that it's not food, right? It, by extension, it's not classical conditioning. It's softness. It's it's <laughs> comfort. It's contact. Exactly. It may be physical protection, but apparently, it is. Um, it's it's contact and. To make an anthropic shift, you can extrapolate that onto humans too. Yeah. Because there's a drug called oxytocin that is released, um, especially on skin to skin contact, which is why touching and raising um, an infant and holding an infant is extraordinarily. Important not just for its development, but also for establishing bonds and contact with the, with that kid.
1: Yeah, and especially uh, for adoptive parents, they say a lot of skin on skin contact mm-hmm. as soon as
0: possible right. is key to establishing that bond. But that's really neat because it means like the 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 imprinting mm-hmm. is all about. It, it basically proves family is what you make of it. Yeah, or family is whatever you find. Is your family? Yeah, it does. It's not this predefined structure. It's from a from infancy. It's whatever you make them. Yeah, that's
1: true. Uh, and then you know Harlow was. Uh, I like him less and less the more you talk about him. Yeah. But on the other side of the spectrum, what we've learned through all this research is, if you work in wildlife conservation, um, they're not just willy nilly in how they handle animals anymore. Right. Uh, they go through great pains and efforts to. Uh, Like we mentioned the hand puppet, you know, they have Operation Condor, Mm -hmm. where they will raise these baby condors who are abandoned, and they would dress their their hand puppet up to look like a mama condor to feed it. Yeah. And basically to do everything they can do to make sure that they can live a regular life in the wild. Right. And they're not looking for that iron, spiked iron maiden in the jungle. Yeah. Uh, And even down to like migratory patterns, they'll use like the ultralight planes to later teach these birds... And they will dress up the plane to look like, uh, a condor or whatever, a duck. Right. And, you know, fly, uh, you know, the, the migratory pattern that they should, that they should use, the
0: route. <laughs> yeah. And there's one of the researchers is inside the glider that's dressed up <laughs> like a condor. Yeah. On the PA going, follow me.
1: <laughs> and the cutest thing ever, um, they found out that in, uh, I think it was in Japan that pandas, um, didn't do so well when they were handled by humans too young. Yeah. So now they wear panda suits. Yeah. Isn't that adorable? Yes, it is. It's like you go to work, you punch in, you put on your panda suit, mm-hmm. and you cuddle with baby pandas.
0: Well, that, and it, it's not just human contact that can screw up, like, say, a panda. Yeah. Um, what they found is, uh, one of the things that Harlow found was that, um, imprinting has a lot to do with socialization. Yeah. So that even if you just stick a baby with the wire spiky iron maiden monkey mother. Yeah. But you give that monkey 20 minutes a day to socialize with other monkeys. Mm -hmm. It should turn out okay. Okay. But even if it has the terry cloth mother and is kept in isolation from other monkeys. Yeah. They in turn tend to make, um, uh, inadequate mothers is what they call them. Yeah. Where they just like neglect their children or smack them around or just do all sorts of stuff. Because their mother was an inanimate object. Yeah. Unethical stuff.
1: Yeah, I feel like we owe the band Iron Maiden a big apology.
0: Yeah, they're like, Roy, the, oh, you gave us a bad name. Yeah, like, this is just supposed to be a torture device. <laughs> right. Not for animals, for exactly, humans. Exactly, yeah. Uh, else? I do. There's a cute salon slideshow called 20 Heartwarming Stories of Inner Species Adoptions.
1: Oh, that's literally the best thing on the internet. Isn't that sweet? Is when you find like a horse cuddling with a puppy.
0: Right. Or raising it as its own. Yeah. There's apparently a lioness who's well known at in a preserve somewhere for um, stealing antelope calves and not eating them. I saw that, dude. But raising them as her own because she wants a kid. It's, It's unbelievable. Yeah. Animals teaching us the way. (laughs) Right. You know? Who could ever love a monkey? Like, uh, who cares what you look like? Who cares what... what? Who cares if I'm meant to eat you? (laughs) You know? I'm going to raise you as my own. Yeah. Well, I think they often display, like,
1: true nurturing love more than a lot of humans do. Yeah.
0: True that. If you guys want to know more about this kind of thing, you can type animal imprinting in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And also, go check out our classic episode... Animal Domestication. Mm, good one. Pretty good. Um, and you can find that on stuffyoushouldknow.com. And I said search bar in there somewhere, so it's time for listener mail.
1: Uh, I'm going to call this Gang uh, Article Recommendation. Uh, hi, guys. My name is Ciara. I just finished listening to How Street Gangs Work. I thought I would offer a piece of literature as a suggestion to people interested in reading more about the subject. It's called Gang Leader for a Day by Sudhir Venkatesh. Uh, it's a sociological approach to street gangs in Chicago. It started out as a Harvard dissertation with Vintakesh asking, what's it like to be poor and black? And turned into seven years of befriending a crack-dealing gang leader in the projects. It's a really great read, very interesting to see a first-person account of gang life from someone who was not raised in the community, in which gangs prevailed, especially when you learn that gangs started to protect uh, black people at its base level. So even when you see the gang violence brought forth in the book pages, You also get to see the gang members doing everything they can to protect their community members. Huh? Uh, the name, uh, there's a New York times article. If you're interested about the book called, if you want to observe them, join them. I think it was like 2008 ish, Mm -hmm. but I read it. Awesome. Uh, so thanks for all the work you guys put into the episodes. I love constantly learning something new except for when it's about space. I don't want to learn anything about space. Okay. It'll make me lose my mind. Weird. Thank you, Ciara. Thank you, Ciara. Much appreciated. Go listen to our episode on the sun. Or the... uh, That will make most people lose their minds.
0: Elevated to the moon. Yeah. Or Mars. Or the moon. Got a lot of them about space.
1: (laughs) She's like, yep, I've avoided them all.
0: Um, We want to know what will make you lose your mind topic-wise. Or actually in general. Yeah, or if you've ever imprinted on uh, something (laughs) non-human. Yeah, there you go. Chris. Uh, you can send us all that info via Twitter at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, everybody, if you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours, too. Visit Pedigree.com adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty and have unique experiences